Chapter forty nine of Young People's Treasury, Volume six Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Historical Sketch of Arctic Exploration, Part two Nansen's March Toward the Pole. This expedition was fortunate in getting easily to a point northeast of the Siberian Islands, where they were frozen into the ice and began a slow drift in the direction expected that is west northwest to latitude eighty five degrees fifty seven minutes north longitude seventy degrees east when the ship gradually veered southward and after thirty five months besetment escaped into open water north of spitzbergen and made her way safely to norway in march eighteen ninety five nansen and a companion johansen left the ship and with dog sledge and kayak made a rush toward the pole they reached latitude eighty six degrees four minutes north in longitude ninety six degrees east before being forced to turn back by impassable ice and failure of provisions the extraordinary courage and endurance of these men in their perilous march back to land is one of the most thrilling chapters in the chronicle of polar research at last after almost superhuman labors and escapes from freezing drowning starving and the attacks of famished bears the two reached franz joseph land and spent a winter in what amounted to solitary confinement in a hut constructed of earth stones and walrus hides the next spring they plodded on incidentally learning much that was new in respect to this remote island and by good chance found the camp of the english jackson harmsworth expedition which carried them back to norway in the ship windward a pleasing coincidence was the fact that the fram which had been left in the command of captain otto sverdrup returned the same week nansen's farthest north and a later book by johansen are narratives of these adventures and their accompanying accessions to knowledge the most prominent of which was the fact that the water over which the fram drifted was found to be of great depth and rich in marine organisms harry in north greenland coincidentally perry had been busy during eighteen ninety three to ninety four he was completing the investigation of the northern borders of greenland the summers of eighteen ninety six and eighteen ninety seven were occupied by trips to the melville sound region in the course of which he obtained those huge meteorites which have been the admiration of mineralogists ever since they were placed on view in new york disdaining rest after his return he devoted the winter of eighteen ninety seven ninety eight to preparations for an expedition so extensive that it was to consume four years his ship was the windward the same which had brought nansen home from franz joseph land and which had been given by mr harmsworth now lord northcliffe the expenses were paid by a committee of american subscribers of whom morris k jessup of new york was foremost and until his death in nineteen o eight this gentleman continued to be the most liberal supporter of Peary's Arctic enterprises. These subscribers formed in 1899 the Peary Arctic Club, which still exists, fostering interest in polar science. The windward passed the winter of 1898-99 in Almond Bay, and its commander made exploratory journeys on Elzamir land, where he had extraordinary sufferings, losing seven toes by freezing. The next summer, a supporting ship, the Diana, with Mrs. Perry and a scientific party as passengers, reached him, 
and later both ships returned southward leaving lieutenant perry and a few others at payer in the early summer of nineteen hundred the windward was again sent north with mrs perry and her daughter who picked up perry and went with him in the ship to a winter harbor near the polar coast as nothing was heard from them for a year the eric was dispatched by the perry club with supplies and this party met the windward in folk fjord starting homeward with all well on board during this absence perry had rounded the northern limit of the greenland archipelago had reached latitude eighty three degrees fifty minutes the highest point then attained and had done important scientific work he was not yet ready to return however and taking the new supplies he passed a third winter in the north whence he was brought back by the club ship in the following season work by european explorers during these years an expedition of norwegian men of science led by otto sverdrup who had commanded the fram after nansen had left her for his sledge trip and using that same old ship had spent four seasons continuously in the waters south and west of elzamir land whose western side they carefully surveyed increasing the map by much previously unknown territory and they brought safely back valuable information and large collections in the winter of eighteen ninety nine to nineteen hundred an italian venture under the duke of the abruzzi in the stella polaris established favorable quarters north of franz joseph land cogni one of the staff the duke of the abruzzi unfortunately being unable to go undertook a sledge journey from this base and actually distanced nansen's record reaching latitude eighty six degrees thirty three minutes forty nine seconds north this same region was a field of american explorations in nineteen o two and a scientific expedition subsidized by the french academy of sciences followed in nineteen o three the ziegler expedition in the america set out from trondhjem norway for franz joseph land the same summer and in the autumn a canadian party left halifax in the neptune of these the ziegler expedition was by far the most important william ziegler an american was the generous and intelligent supporter of this endeavor to reach the pole by way of the european arctic ocean anthony fiala who had distinguished himself in an earlier ziegler experiment was placed in command and in june nineteen o three left trondhjem in the steam whaling vessel america conditions were unusually favorable and the party established themselves at teplitz bay crown prince rudolph land in latitude eighty one degrees fifty minutes north which was reached in august nineteen o three camp was established on shore but in november while a considerable store of provisions was still on board the america was crushed in the ice and eventually she drifted away and was lost two years were spent in fruitless efforts to get north and then all returned in a rescue steamer amundsen navigates the northwest passage in nineteen o four the norwegian captain ronald amundsen set out in a small sailing sloop his object being to locate anew the north magnetic pole this had been discovered by ross in eighteen thirty two on the southeast triangle of boothia felix but it was supposed to have traveled a few degrees eastward since ross had fixed its coordinates amundsen with a handful of men and the joa a vessel of only forty seven tons succeeded in making the northwest passage 
as well as in accomplishing the declared object of his expedition entering lancaster sound from baffin bay in june 1903 the norwegian captain followed perry's old route of 1819 and reached king william land that region forever associated with the sad fate of franklin's men this was the field for his scientific endeavors and his survey included the coast and waters of western boothia south to king william land and as far west as victoria land he collected many data respecting the phenomena of magnetic variation inclination and intensity and sent the results to nansen hermetically sealed in a metal tube this survey accomplished amundsen resumed his course in his little single stick vessel from victoria strait he reached the channel leading westward between the arctic archipelago and the american mainland the route discovered by the franklin party though not credited to them until many years of search had collected the pitiful tokens of their line of travel the joa was then the first ship to accomplish without serious difficulty the northwest passage it followed the franklin course and avoided the hardships of mcclure's more northerly course when in eighteen fifty he brought the investigator from the west to within twenty-five miles of the open water of barrow strait and was obliged to leave her there although he and his crew reached belcher's ships and returned to england thus mcclure's men had made the passage but no ship had done so previous to the joa here it may be remarked the comparatively shallow water indicating that the western hemisphere is also extended in a continental shelf ensures in summer an open sea since drifting fragments from the polar pack ground farther out where the deep water begins moreover the coast is tundra land or bare and being low has no glacial formation to fill the channels with icebergs amundsen arrived at the mouth of the mackenzie river in september nineteen o five and there found some whalers who were caught in the ice they told him that the political situation was strained between norway and sweden and being anxious to learn what had happened as well as hear from his family he determined to march south to the yukon telegraph station at eagle city it was a trip of seven hundred miles on snowshoes and had only been made once or twice before by trappers with captain mag of the whaler bonanza he set out four weeks later december fifth nineteen o five they arrived at their destination the people could not believe that he had made the trip from europe via the arctic ocean or that he had come from the mouth of the mackenzie on snowshoes and his arrival in san francisco a few weeks later was justly the occasion of a great celebration the north pole a geographical prize a season of rest but not of inaction for lieutenant peary followed his return to new york in nineteen o two hitherto geographical study of the extent and character of the land masses and ice fields in the extreme north and of the climatic conditions had been the foremost matter in his mind with greater results than had fallen to the lot of any other single man now peary set himself to reach the north pole which he described as the last great geographical prize the earth has to offer in respect to this he wrote to the secretary of the navy when applying for further leave of absence as follows the attainment of the north pole is in my opinion our manifest privilege and duty its attainment by another country would be in the light of a reproach and a criticism 
the sense of all the foremost geographers practical and theoretical now converges upon the smith sound or american route along which i have been working for years past other routes have been eliminated if we delay in preempting this route someone else will step in and win the prize i believe that my experience gained in years of practical work my special method of travel and equipment the evolution of years of practical work my personal acquaintance with every feature of my chosen route and region and my command of the full resources and utmost efforts of the entire little tribe of whale sound hyperboleans who have lived and worked with me for years give substantial reasons for anticipating a successful outcome to an expedition based on the above lines the roosevelt's first voyage to accomplish this and other intended work a more suitable vessel was needed than was available and the Peary club resolved to construct one consequently plans were made for a ship which should combine the necessary qualities of power the smallest consumption and the largest capacity for coal of a model which should withstand shock and pressure which should surmount and crush flows which should respond on call with full power of engines in short a ship which should be the product of actual experience such a ship was built at bucksport maine christened roosevelt and on july fourth nineteen o five departed for the north well found eighteen months later she returned badly crippled but with all on board in good health she brought a story of splendid endeavor including a new record of approach to the pole the ship was forced farther than ship had ever gone before clear through robeson channel and into the actual polar sea where it turned west and crept along the coast of grant land to the headland named cape sheridan and there into winter quarters all interest and efforts were centered upon the proposed rush toward the pole which began as soon as the dawning light of spring made it possible perry gets farthest north there were four parties each with dogs eskimo drivers and hunters long ago perry learned that the eskimos and the dogs held the secret of northern success in two days they were halted by a stretch of open water after staying in camp for a week they took a dangerous chance and went across a layer of thin ice that had formed the main party led by peary was cut off from the others by a blizzard which caused a delay of five days a continuation of the rush northward followed photographs brought to new york showed the sledgers discouraging experiences among giant humps of ice and pressure ridges and at last with the provisions nearly exhausted the chief had to give orders to turn back on april twenty first nineteen o six he was then in latitude eighty seven degrees six minutes north or within two hundred three miles of the pole the nearest point yet reached and but for the delays in the first part of the dash he was convinced that he could have made the pole describing his feelings afterward he said it was the saddest day of his life he felt no joy over his farthest north mark but only disappointment on the way back open water stopped them and at the end of two days camping the provisions were all gone they ate the weakest dogs just before making their perilous run over a thin and wavering ice strip a skirmish line with each man fifty feet from his neighbor was formed to go across and no sooner had the last man reached firm ice than the strip parted behind him had they delayed the venture a few minutes all of them probably would have perished when they arrived at the greenland coast men and dogs were emaciated 
but the eskimos got them several hares the first good food they had tasted for weeks starting on again they came across tracks in the snow and trailing them discovered clark and three eskimos from one of the supporting parties nearly dead from starvation and ready to give up hope and die but peary found and killed seven musk oxen which provided food enough to carry them to the ship valuable results in nineteen o five to nineteen o six the dash over peary set out to establish hitherto unknown coastlines traveling westward along the northern shore of grant land he planted the flag on cape columbia on the most northerly point of the american archipelago he then left a record on the northernmost point of greenland so including nansen's previous records the north american section of farthest north was rather well charted geographically and the only really unknown portion of the arctic circle that remained except for the territory immediately at the pole was the section of siberia thus the roosevelt returned home reaching cape breton on november twenty third nineteen o six with a truly great record of scientific achievement this expedition has been dwelt upon at length because of the great service of its lessons one of these was that the polar ice opposite this coast was steadily drifting eastward to meet the westerly drift from the eastern siberia toward the atlantic another was the assurance that it was not the cold that presented the greatest obstacle but the difficulty of carrying provisions the success of any sledge dash Peary concluded, depended upon the ability to make speed enough to keep the party fed all the way up to the pole and back. The Bradley Polar Expedition In the summer of 1907, Dr. Frederick A. Cook of Brooklyn, New York, went to the north in a Gloucester schooner as a guest of John R. Bradley, a resident of New York known as a hunter of big game in various lands. The departure was unostentatious, and the object of the trip was stated to be a summer shooting and collecting excursion. It was observed, however, that an immense quantity of stores was loaded, and much of such equipment as only a polar explorer would require. The schooner left Gloucester July 3, 1907, and reached Smith Sound in the latter part of August. Here, numerous Eskimos were found in good condition, having been successful in the season's hunting, and well provided with strong and healthy dogs dr cook now announced in letters sent back with mr bradley who after a season's hunting returned to new york that so far as he was concerned this was an expedition in which he intended alone to try to reach the north pole and that as the conditions were propitious he had remained behind for that purpose the yachting cruise thereupon became the bradley polar expedition at anuk some twenty miles north of etah cook erected the small house taken with him in sections and assembled his supplies which were sufficient for three years with him remained an assistant rudolph frank these two spent the next few months in preparing the equipment in which the journey toward the pole was to be made and in selecting and training the eskimos and dogs that were to be taken along mr frank remained behind in charge of the property left at etah to pass the winter so far south seven hundred miles in a straight line from the pole was contrary to all theory and practice but cook argued that by doing so and starting as soon as the dawning light would permit he would have far less trouble from open water than later in the season while the cold could be endured 
and that by going across grinnell land to the northern point of axel heiberg land before embarking upon the arctic ocean he would be traveling through a country abounding in game and so would find sustenance for his men and dogs moreover leaving the land so far west would enable him to take advantage of the eastern drift of the polar ice hereafter explained by the middle of february nineteen o eight all was ready the arctic night was waning and a start was made the party consisting of dr cook ten eskimos and more than one hundred dogs drawing eleven loaded sledges they crossed smith sound and struck into the snowy and mountainous heights of grinnell land the difficulties of travel were enormous the cold experienced reported at eighty three degrees fahrenheit was greater than had ever been recorded progress was slow but game musk oxen reindeer bears hares and foxes abounded and all hands including the dogs were well fed from day to day and kept strong five weeks later the expedition reached the northern extremity of land at the mouth of nansen sound and here six eskimos with half the sledges and dogs were sent back they reached etah in safety and reported that dr cook had made a base camp on the shore and with the remaining eskimos and dogs had set out for the pole as this unheralded expedition was destined to become very conspicuous it will be well at this point to tell briefly who this daring explorer was sketch of dr cook dr cook was born in eighteen sixty five at the village of calicoon depot new york of parents german in birth who originally spelled their name coke his father was a physician but died when frederick was six years of age after which the family had a struggle with poverty until the children were of an age to contribute adequately to the family purse this permitted frederick little schooling but when later the family moved to brooklyn and the boy went to work with a merchant he took advantage of the public night schools to get further education of indomitable ambition and perseverance he resolved to study medicine and worked half the day and night in order to pursue his studies which were completed in six years after which he married and began practice in brooklyn a year later however his wife died and dr cook yielded to his longing for travel and went with perry in the kite this voyage in eighteen ninety one brought cook his first experience in arctic campaigning especially in sledging for he tramped to latitude eighty two degrees in northwestern greenland although after his return he resumed in brooklyn the practice of medicine dr cook made a second trip to the arctic in the supporting yacht leda in eighteen ninety three and then organized an expedition of his own for eighteen ninety four this was intended as a scientific reconnaissance and the party included several well-known physicists and naturalists the vessel chosen the miranda was soon seen to be unsuitable for the purpose and it hardly left st john's newfoundland when it collided with an iceberg and had to put back for repairs resuming its voyage it was presently half wrecked on reefs near Sukkertoppen, and everybody had to go ashore the aid of a gloucester fishing schooner was presently secured and the expedition re-embarked towing the miranda until bad weather intervened and she sank with all the property on board nevertheless the scientific notes and observations made were of substantial value during eighteen ninety seven to ninety nine dr cook was acting as surgeon with an expedition for antarctic exploration in the belgica the productive value of which was much enhanced 
by Cook's narrative, through the first Antarctic night. In 1901, Dr. Cook went north in Peary's supply steamer, Eric, but this was hardly more than a pleasure ship. Two years later, Alaska attracted him, and he made an ineffectual attempt to climb the isolated and lofty Mount McKinley. In 1906, he returned to Alaska with a party of mountaineers and scientific assistants, and made a new attack upon the mountain. Repeated ascents were made from various points, only to be baffled by the summit cliffs. Discouraged, his companions left him, supposing that he was about to follow. It was some time, however, before he returned to the coast, when he reported that he had suddenly resolved to make one more trial. With a single companion, one of the camp hands, the others being away on a hunt, he announced that from a new base he had climbed to the top of the peak, which he found to be 20,300 feet in altitude. Exactly the altitude trigonometrically calculated by Robert Muldrow of the U.S. Geological Survey in 1900. All of his Alaskan travels, including the ascent of Mount McKinley, were related in a book entitled To the Top of the Continent. It is thus seen that Dr. Cook was by no means inexperienced in travel in cold latitudes when he undertook the adventurous quest upon which he disappeared from the world in the spring of 1908. The Peary Expedition of 1908 It was with peculiar confidence that Peary looked forward to his next attempt, which he hoped could be made in the summer of 1907, but numberless difficulties, most of all lack of money, stood in the way. The Peary Arctic Club was rather at a standstill, not only on account of the commercial depression, which just then made everyone feel poor in pocket and anxious in soul, but Mr. Jessup was ill, and his death in January 1908 seemed a paralyzing blow to those intent upon the plan. Peary, however, made heroic and ceaseless efforts, and finally procured funds and assurances sufficient to outfit the Roosevelt and provision a party to try for the pole in 1908. The party included the experienced Robert Bartlett as sailing master, Professor Donald B. McMillan, a trained explorer and educator, as first assistant, Professor Ross G. Marvin of Cornell University, Dr. J. W. Goodsell, surgeon, George Borup, a young scientific assistant, and the chief engineer, and several of the men who had previously served in his crew. The Roosevelt looked rough when she left New York on the morning of July 8th, 1908 and proceeded to oyster bay long island where president roosevelt was then residing for there had been no money to spare for paint and niceties the president and members of his household boarded her and after a pleased inspection bade the expedition a hearty farewell receiving from its commander the assurance of great confidence of success the voyage was interrupted in baffin bay by a terrific storm which inflicted so much damage that a delay was necessary at Etah to make repairs. To this point went also a supply steamer, carrying coal to be stored for use on the return journey. Here, too, were gathered a large number of Eskimos of the Highlander tribe, which Peary had been nourishing for years, with a great number of dogs, and an abundance of food prepared in the shape of walrus carcasses. Twenty-two Eskimo men and their families and 226 sledge dogs were embarked, and then the Roosevelt proceeded northward on August 18th, while her tender came south. Cook announces success. 
for many months nothing was heard of either of these bold men racing toward the mysterious northern axis of the globe and those most interested were beginning to feel anxious when the world was startled by a laconic telegram from dr cook dated lerwick shetland islands september first nineteen o nine announcing that he had reached the north pole and was returning on a danish government steamer this was followed by a long telegram to the new york herald and on september fourth dr cook arrived at copenhagen where he was received with immense popular rejoicings and distinguished honors from official and scientific bodies his story was quickly learned and notified to the whole world which replied by enthusiastic congratulations from every civilized country dr cook stated that after sending back half his party he had started march twenty first on his straight north dash toward the pole taking with him five eskimos and forty-four dogs dragging provisions for eighty days he also carried a collapsible canvas boat and the best obtainable instruments for astronomically determining his position from day to day the party struggled through the rough space of the ice near shore and after reaching the better surface of the outer pack three eskimos were sent back and two the youngest and strongest of the whole party were kept for the further work on march thirtieth cook recorded longitude eighty six degrees thirty six minutes west and latitude eighty four degrees seventeen minutes north land was seen west between the eighty fourth and eighty fifth parallels but could not be examined the going steadily improved as northing was gained at an unprecedented rate of speed for polar travel slightly less than fifteen miles a day and beyond the eighty seventh parallel the ice was smooth and little broken having much the appearance dr cook notes of land ice when cracks occasionally opened they were almost immediately closed by the continued intense cold which kept about forty degrees fahrenheit below zero on april fourteenth when only about one hundred miles remained to do the overworked underfed dogs were succumbing but the men hurried on teams and strength sufficed to accomplish this terminal distance and dr cook reported that on april twenty first he had the inexpressible satisfaction of standing on the spot where latitude and longitude converge upon a point equidistant in all directions from the equator so that wherever you look is south two days were spent here in rest and repeated observations for position there was nothing to see anywhere but a plain of ice and snow and not a trace of life there would have been nothing to stay for even had shelter and provisions been abundant but death by freezing or starvation would be the penalty of delay and the return path was taken with all possible haste with lightened sledges and the sense of a race for life an even greater speed than on the northward run was maintained at first but below the eighty-seventh parallel so much fog open water and generally bad conditions were encountered that the men went slowly and wandered in the incessant fog and snow far west of their intended landing on axel Heiberg land unable to reach that haven they were compelled to make their way as best they could down the western shores of crown prince gustav sea subsisting on the country which sometimes left them for two or three days together without food finally by aid of their collapsible boat which served when not afloat as a sort of sledge they reached the southeastern extremity of elzamir land via jones sound there they encamped during the winter of nineteen o eight to nineteen o nine 
in the spring of 1909 they made their way through great hardship and hunger up the western coast of smith sound and crossed over to etah here dr cook found harry whitney an american hunter with whom he said he left his instruments certain records and other property while he himself proceeded by sledging southward to upernavik where he awaited the arrival in august of the danish steamship on which he sailed to copenhagen lieutenant peary reaches the pole meanwhile what of the other lost one robert e peary for all thoughts turned sympathetically toward the man who had been heroically and intelligently striving after this prize for almost thirty years the answer came on september seventh nineteen o nine with startling suddenness in a wireless telegram from battle harbor labrador stars and stripes nailed to the pole Perry. if the time and method of the announcement of dr cook's achievement were dramatic what shall be said of the fairly theatrical entrance of Perry upon the scene with this curt statement a day later a brief sketch of how the pole was reached was published in the new york times from his hand and soon afterward a more detailed story appeared when in august nineteen o eight perry vanished from view in the fogs of cane basin he found both ice conditions and weather fairly kind until he had reached the northern outlet of robeson channel where the ship was much delayed and nearly wrecked she was however forced on into the arctic ocean and steered west to an anchorage at the mouth of sheridan river near cape joseph henry it was now september fifth and the advanced state of the season compelled great diligence in landing supplies for the land parties and preparing for the long winter as soon as practicable depots of supplies intended for the use of the great polar sledging trip to be made in the spring were established all along the coast as far west as cape columbia this labor alternated with inland trips which were productive not only of many additional details to the map of grant land but also of much game for reindeer bears musk oxen hares etc were numerous even to the coast the moment in early february nineteen o nine that the returning light permitted the polar search was put under way successive parties driving heavily laden sledges to cape columbia this far westerly point of departure from the land was chosen in order to allow for the easterly drift of the ice which lay between the land and the pole as has been mentioned when all had gathered at this rendezvous there were seven white men fifty-nine eskimos one hundred forty dogs and twenty-three sledges all who had visited the arctic ocean in this part of the world have encountered much the same situation namely a shore strip about one hundred miles wide of ice which is constantly breaking up and moving about ever trending eastward under the drag of currents and winds outside of it is always found a strip of more or less open water called the big lead or lane beyond which lies a sort of vast island of never melting and comparatively motionless ice which covers the polar space within about latitude eighty three degrees this inner or polar ice field is fairly smooth while the much disturbed band between it and the shore is extremely rough owing to repeated breaking crowding together and freezing into those jagged upturned masses called hummocks or pressure ridges peary's successful dash northward late in february a pioneer party was sent ahead to break away through this rough region 
and Peary and the caravan followed on March 1st. The party now numbered seven white men, 17 Eskimos, 133 dogs, and 19 sledges. The difficulties were great, and on the 4th all overtook Bartlett, stopped by a lake of open water, which held all on its bank until the 11th, when it was crossed. By the 14th the going had become good, but there Dr. Goodsell turned back according to program, and Macmillan was obliged to return because of frost-bitten feet. The temperature was minus 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Some open leads now troubled them, but the 10th march carried them to latitude 85 degrees 23 minutes, where Borup was turned back. Bartlett here went ahead 20 hours before the rest started. As soon as he was overtaken, he went on, and the main body occupied his camp. Thus Perry slept while the pioneers marched, and vice versa. Yet all parties were in touch daily, and a road was broken for the heavy sledges. Steady progress was thus made to latitude 86 degrees, 38 minutes. It was here that Marvin was turned back with his division, and went to his death, for he hastened some miles ahead of his men, and in crossing a lead alone he was drowned, so that not even his body could be recovered by the Eskimos, who continued with the sledges to land. The party from this point consisted of nine men, seven sledges, and sixty dogs. As they struggled north, obstacles and dangers multiplied for a time, and the narrowest escapes from death are recorded as the ice broke up around them. Moreover, the pressure of a gale from the north robbed them of hard-earned distance by pressing the ice back toward the south. At the 88th parallel, Bartlett was ordered to turn back as had been arranged, Mr. Peary desiring that no other white man than himself should actually reach the pole at that time. But Captain Bartlett had had the satisfaction of distancing all previous records by many miles. There now remained Perry, his Negro servant Henson, who had been his companion in exploration for years, and four Eskimos. The dogs were in good condition, and the party had supplies for forty or even fifty days. The gale had ceased, the ice was hard, and weather calm and clear. It was now April 1st, and Perry's plan was to push the speed to fifteen miles a day, or better if possible. This terrific program was carried out, for no one spared himself, and the going was more favorable than could be expected, but it was so bitter cold that even the natives complained. After the 89th parallel had been passed, however, the air grew decidedly warmer, while the sledding improved. On the morning of April 6th, the final march was rushed forward, and Perry stood at last at the pole, an unmarked astronomical point in an enormous plain of restless ice. Some thirty hours were spent there in taking all sorts of scientific notes, observations, and photographs. Then began a headlong race for home, which was attended with remarkably good luck and unprecedented speed, and took Perry and the five hardy and faithful men who had stood beside him at the pole back to the safety of the land and the ship. The earliest opportunity to escape from her icy bonds was embraced by the Roosevelt and the end of the summer found her and all her company, save Marvin, back in civilized waters. Early in October, the stout little ship reached New York, and with Commander Peary on the bridge, took part in the naval parade up the Hudson, which was one of the notable features of the great Hudson-Fulton celebration of 1909. Mr. Peary was received not only with the acclaim 
of popular enthusiasm but with unquestioned honors by the scientific world note the above account of polar travel as well as of mountain climbing by dr cook was based on his own reports as those reports form part of the records of exploration they rightly hold a place in this historical summary the subsequent discrediting of cook ranking him among great impostors and his apparent confession by flight and concealment are known to all the world the lesson of this imposture and of all like deceptions should impress itself deeply upon the minds of young readers and should prove an effectual deterrent to false ambitions end of chapter forty nine